welcome. Thank you for coming on the Wondering Together podcast. I'm happy to have you. If you would introduce yourselves to those listening. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, James, for inviting me. My name is uh, Sunil Godse, uh, and I'm all about intuition and how intuition helps you in establishing relationships that help you on the personal side, surround yourself with the right people uh, in your life so that you can actually stop holding yourself back to succeed. And on the business side, it, it's it's helping establish two-way trusted relationships so that those uh, there are people that want to work for you customers want to buy from you and the marketplace loves you. And when that trifecta happens, uh, that's how you crush your competition. And in both cases with the research that I've done and we'll dive into the science of what I found out, that trust is established based on intuition in under 14 seconds. So people are generating the intuition within, in any given relationship, whether it's work, personal, whatever, they're, they're generating the I'm going to use the word correct, or just the intuition that is guiding them in what is maybe the authentic direction for them in 14 seconds? In under 14 seconds, yes. And so they'll have to take a look at what are their values uh, in their personal life, what are their values when it comes to work? And does that resonate with the people that they work with or the people that they surround themselves with? And if there's a detraction between those, is that detraction something that their intuition can stomach? Um, it, because not everybody's going to be, you know, a carbon copy of who we are, Every, you know, especially I'm married to my wife and she's got slightly different values than I am, but uh, they're, they're manageable enough that most of our values align. And in the workplace, those people, the, the companies I've loved working for the clients I love working for the values are similar in nature, um, it, that it, it becomes easy, or I get them to recognize their values so that others that they have in their business, um, love their values that they they are in sync with them in that they respect them they're not exact matches and so when you have these sort of values that are matching or aligned more or less in the same direction your intuition is saying yeah that's that's amazing uh, and that's when that trust is saying yeah you can trust this person and the moment that those values start to detract uh, in a in a major way so in, in the workplace, if you've got someone, uh, you know, you can't control everybody, something happens in their lives and then all of a sudden they do something that goes really against your values, your intuition is going to say, mm -mm -mm -mm, that is something that you should not be able to tolerate. And that's someone you need to move away from. And in the workplace, uh, if you see, you know, a CEOs or management doing one thing yet you know, their words, are, actions aren't matching their words, or they're treating something with people, they don't really care, you're like more of a number to them and they don't really care about your creativity or your voice or your opinion, then you're going to move away, right? You start looking for another job and it's your intuition saying, wow, what I, what I came in with, what I got sold when I got hired is very different than what I'm experiencing. And that's when your intuition is going to say, mm, something's wrong here. Uh, and then that's when you're just kind of bored at work uh, and you're okay because maybe you're paying, either paying you a high salary, but then you're wasting your time not being in an environment that really lights you up. And so that's your intuition working. One of, one of my questions that I have for you is what is, what is intuition? But I can see that we are, we're going to be answering that together over yeah. the, the course of Absolutely. This, this session. One of the things that I'm thinking about as you're talking is I, I'm a psychotherapist by practice and there's so many examples of intuition that I'm thinking of that I'm, I'd like to bring up later, but in regards to people relating to their work, as you're bringing up, 
one of the things I've done recently in the past 18 months is I started a group psychotherapy practice. So there are other therapists that work, uh, they work for me. And they're at this point, there's probably about somewhere between 12 and 15 therapists that work for me. I think one more person just starting, so maybe 15. And we just started this business 18 months ago, but there's something happening here. There's something very special happening in terms of people are gravitating here and they are, they're, they're leaving their other jobs. They're leaving their other jobs, good situations that they're in to come to our place because there's something, um, there's a cohesiveness that is building. And, and the people that are, my employees are saying to me, I wanna be here forever. This is where I wanna work. I think about a conversation that I had with one of my employees, they asked me, how do you know, how did you know that it was, uh, it was right with your, it, how did you know that you were going to start your own business? How did you know that that was what you wanted to do? And I said, so authentically, I said to him, I didn't really see there being any other way. It wasn't really so much something that I consciously thought about and made a decision in the direction. It's just who I am. It's just the, the direction that I was I, I was going to take. So it makes me think about that. Is that intuition? Is the fact that uh, I was just, I didn't even stop to consciously think about it. I've just always gone in the direction of, I want to be under my own umbrella because of the freedom that it affords me. I mean, I see, I can see that now in retrospect, what was it? Why was I going towards this? And then sometimes when you go towards something and then you, you achieve it and then you look back, you can kind of dissect why it works. So my body got there, my mind got there, my heart got there, but I didn't really know why. But now that I'm here looking back, I can understand the reasons why I went in this direction. Absolutely. And that's exactly how intuition works. And, and so if you look at the sort of the science, uh, the science behind intuition, which is which is where I started to play in, uh, you know, when I initially did my research in intuition, it kind of came from the sort of the, what people talk about, the woo-woo aspect of it, a manifestation, voices from God coming from the cosmos. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having intuition defined like that for you. But for me, because it came from an engineering background, uh, and I kind of looked at, say, things like steel that has like a mass-like property and a wave-like property, I kind of saw intuition like the same. So uh, there, there has to be sort of the art and science blend to it. So the art, I kind of understand because if I reflect back on my own life, you know, when I was five years old, uh, you know, there was these video games that my dad uh, wouldn't buy for me because they were expensive. Yet, I distinctly remember like there's this voice that came in. It was it was so loud, and it didn't. And it spoke to me, saying, "Sunil, you're going to go door to door to raise money." And so I did. I took my two and a half year old brother in tow, and I went door to door, and I raised two hundred dollars. A hundred dollars went to my dad, and a hundred dollars went to uh, you know charity because that's what my school was doing. Um, and there were several times when I went against this, you know, quote unquote, something, uh, and it, it resulted in, in me going through experiences I didn't want. So for example, one of the biggest ones is my career. You know, uh, for those people who can't see me, I'm a South Asian male. And so there's four career doors that you're kind of given to you by societal norms, or, or you know, listening to my dad, mom, so it's doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. Uh, and everything I've been doing was all very entrepreneurial in nature. And whether it was sort of some type of salesy area or marketing area, 
I really excelled in those and ideas that I had that I put into existence and I made money off of, even young, when I was younger, uh, it, it, that just wasn't a way for me to go, even though my intuition at the time, again, I'm reflecting back and saying, you need to be the entrepreneur. And when I was, when I was confronted with, no, you got to be that engineer, there was that, that rub saying, this feels really uncomfortable, yet I needed to do that for my dad. Uh, and so I got into engineering and I hated it. I was in, a, uh, there were aspects of engineering I loved. Uh, and then in the second year of my three-year stint as an engineer, there was a, uh, a Mexican restaurant chain that came up to Canada and I ended up becoming invited to be a private uh, investor. And I joined and within a year, I was making five times more in dividends than I was as an engineer. And so, and, and my intuition was just starting to get louder and louder saying, you got to quit, you got to quit, you got to quit. And finally I did uh, in year three, I told my dad, I'm quitting engineering. Uh, he never spoke to me for a number of years after that. But I was loved what I was doing, and I, and I ended up getting into a number of ventures that, that raised close to $20 million in the different wholesale clothing, retail clothing, pop-up events, entertainment companies, just various ventures I just loved. And the people that I worked with loved my ideas, loved the purpose of why I was doing something. And so I started attracting these people that really helped move the business forward. Um, and then there was a management consulting contract where huge swaths of money but the contract terms kept changing. And again, there was this nudging saying, let go of the contract, let it go. This is not great. Yet I was so emotionally enveloped in the amount of the contract that I actually spent every single penny to move down to Silicon Valley. And the company never paid me. And I came back to Canada with really 23 cents in my bank account. All my, I was about to be married, my, my marriage money gone. And I remember coming back over the Canada-US border, um, you know, coming back into Calgary, Canada, where I was living at the time. Uh, well, I was going back to live. And my wife was phoning from India. Luckily, she was overseas where I met her. And she was like, how are things going? And I said, no, things are great. I'm just heading back to Calgary and I'll settle in. And meanwhile, I didn't even know where I was going to be sleeping that night. Um, and then perhaps the most devastating situation for me was when I was in engineering, I was still doing personal coaching at the time. And a friend of mine reached out to me and she was being stalked. And so she said, Sunil, I really need some help. I need some advice. And there was this, this, my intuition nudging me to say, meet with her that afternoon. I didn't have anything going on yet. I convinced, I had a couple of buddies convince me to go for beers. And so I told her, uh, you know, begrudgingly went against this, this thing that was nudging me to meet with her and saying, maybe we should, I should ask her to uh, meet a couple of days later. And again, something telling me, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But I did, I asked her. Uh, can we meet a couple of days later? She goes, sure. And the very next day, that stalker walked up to her uh, into to a bus shelter and put a bullet through her forehead. Um, and so obviously she died instantly. And so when I looked at these times, when I ignored this, this nudging, it really, really affected me. And so I really had to take a deep dive into the science of intuition. So what is it? And so I went to a neurologist who was a friend of mine and he said, it absolutely exists. We all have a sixth sense. He tied it to the neurons in the gut. And he says more and more neuroscience research is coming out to show that intuition happens much earlier than we actually consciously are aware of it. So I went to an academic database and I'm, I just typed in intuition in there and I started to see, okay, I'm gonna hit enter. And I'm thinking, okay, 12 to 15 academic research articles. 53,000 articles on intuition from 1992. This was back in 2020 that I looked at where I, still, I got that number from. Two thirds of that had to deal with intuition and relationships. Um, when you look at entrepreneurship and business, close to half of them had those intertwined. 
So it was really, so intuition, it was, there was a lot of research on it. There were some MRIs uh, and it was the MRI showed that intuition hits the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. Uh, and there's no capacity for language. And so that's why when people def define intuition in their own way or describe it, some people say it's a voice. Some people say it's voices from God. Some people say it's based on experience and learning. And so everybody has sort of has their own definition. And, you know, for my podcast interview, uh, you know, I ask people, you know, what, what are their intuitive signals? What, how do they define intuition? And they always say it's a feeling and all their signals are very unique on how it, uh, how it uh, approaches them. And so some of the other science that I showed, uh, showed that um, intuition happens on average seven to 10 seconds before we're actually consciously aware of making a decision. Um, the new, uh, there's so, supposedly some neuroscience research coming out of University of Toronto it hasn't been published yet. So I haven't had eyes on this paper yet, but uh, the researcher, uh, was saying that it happens 23 seconds before it actually happens. Um, there's some research on trust that I looked at. Trust is established between seven to 10 seconds, sorry, 10 to 14 seconds, two different papers. Um, and uh, another research paper of the UK has shown that that trust is developed in 33 milliseconds. Um, and that's how quickly intuition works. Um, and so there's all the, and then one of the other premises I had was that, well, if I heard intuition at five years old, perhaps we're born with it. And lo and behold, here's this paper that shows that infants as young as two months old have been shown to have intuitive capabilities, or as this paper calls it, intuitive physics. So in a sense, my the science is starting to back this thing called intuition. Uh, it's showing me where it shows up. And then I interviewed over a thousand people to figure out, okay, what are these signals that keep coming up? And the ones that I, like, I had that voice and there were other ones that I ignored. So there, what I found is after interviewing over now, I think 1300 people, uh, that I've interviewed, there's there's two types of signals. There's positive ones and negative ones. And the positive ones are the ones that actually tell us to move ahead. So the dots are connecting, you have a feeling of flow. For me, one of the more unique ones that I had, there was a there was a CEO that's run two multi-million dollar businesses now, one on online shopping and the other one in bespoke clothing, based on an omen that shows up on his shoulder, his right shoulder. No color, no shape, but he just knows he feels that omen there. So if it's somebody he's hiring, uh, if there's a business opportunity or a vendor he's working with, when that omen pops up, he immediately stops whatever negotiating he has and says this, yes. And like I said, two multi-million dollar organizations now. Um, and then the opposite to positive signals is negative signals. And the negative signals usually start very subtle in nature. And as for me, there are two common things that happen. Uh, one is like, I get a bit of a gut reaction and the biggest one for me is I lose my peripheral vision. So my peripheral vision goes, I'm looking forward and somehow my, at the same time, my eyebrows start to come together. In that instant in time when that happens, I know something's wrong. Something is off. That's my negative intuitive signal saying whatever decision I'm about to make is not the right one. And so I've, I've learned that. So I back away from that decision or perhaps I need to get more information uh, that's going to clear that up. Um, and so, um, and so I've done the work on figuring out what my positive and negative signals are. And um, one entrepreneur I was talking with, uh, and again, this is where we get to the uniqueness of it, is that he never, nobody's ever asked him about his intuitive signals. And that's something that nobody, you know, I don't say, hey, James, let's go for a latte. What are your intuitive signals, by the way, buddy? I would love and it if say, you asked me that. <laughs> I think you would appreciate that. But other people around us like, these guys are weird, especially that that Sunil fellow, uh, that brown guy. He's like asking some weird questions. I think let's go to a different uh, Starbucks. But uh, anyways, um, so so nobody's ever asked him that. And so 
But as he's recounting all the bad ventures he went into for the wrong reasons, uh, like money, fame, and ego, he kept grabbing his left earlobe. And he goes, boom, it just hit me. Sunil, every single time I've ignored my intuition, my left earlobe pierces uh, with heat. It starts pulsating every single time. And he remembers bringing this up to his wife. His wife saying, you got to go to the doctor. And he just never realized it. So again, that goes to the uniqueness. And so what happens with negative intuitive signals is that they actually start very subtle in nature. Um, and Oprah calls it a whisper. But as you start to ignore them, they start to get louder intensity and intensity. In some cases, uh, you know, they change so that you no longer ignore them anymore. And I had one uh, case where someone is in a bad relationship, um, you know, and he financially devastated her. And the only reason why she get, oh, she uh, got out is she heard the words, get out. And then finally, she was able to let go uh, on top of all the other things she got into, anxiousness, anxiety, and stuff like that. Uh, and she was financially devastated by the time he had left. Um, and another CEO, this, is, this is guy was running a nine-figure company in the mortgage industry, so over a billion dollars uh, in revenues, and he's in the back of an Uber, and this he's he's this anxiousness to quit kept coming up, and he kept ignoring it, ignoring it, and he's in the back of an Uber, and he just blurts out, "I quit." And so he goes and he says, "Okay, that's it," and he walks into the board the boardroom, and he tells the the board members he's going to quit. Now, obviously, he's not going to say, "My intuition told me so," um, and that's one of the fallacies, I think that uh, like the intuition does come in these feelings and these signals, but it's always backed up with some kind of data and experience. So I'll explain that in a moment in a moment here, but that's how unique the signals are. And so one of the things I also uh, researched is that I found out that there are actually four types of intuition. And the best way to describe these four types is actually through the case study of a non-believer. So one of my friends, uh, he was, was an investment banker. And he was one of my very first interviewees for my intuitionology project. And I said, okay, listen, John, his name is John Rothschild. I said, John, I'm doing this research on intuition. I'd love you for you to give me your thoughts. And so this guy was a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, so maybe I can tie entrepreneurship or intuition and entrepreneur success in business to this. And he goes, oh, Sunil, come on, intuition doesn't exist. So I don't know what we're going to talk about, but um, yeah, yeah, come on down. I'll give you an hour. I haven't seen you for a while. And so we'll talk about intuition for maybe five minutes and the rest of the time, let's have a cappuccino and catch up. So I go down, I turn on the cameras. And so I start talking about intuition and I even tell him about the CEO that sees omens. And he goes, yeah, Sunil, I mean, come on. Uh, you know what? You know, I'd love to shake this guy's hand. So this is guy saying it, he's actually saying it on camera. I'd love to shake this guy's hand, but intuition just doesn't exist. Um, you know what? Decisions are made based on learning and experience. And so now I'm going to go down the path of explaining the four types of intuition. One of the four types of intuition is called experiential intuition. And so when you're born, um, you know, we have five to 6,000 experiences a day. Um, depending on the research you look at, when you're an adult, 28 to 35,000 experiences. And if you look at your brain like an iceberg, 90% of below water is the subconscious area of your brain, 10% above water, which is the conscious area. Every single piece of learning that you have, both formal and informal, every single experience that you have, both good and bad, every single day is going into that subconscious area of a brain like a library. And so by the time you're making a decision, you've got billions and billions of data points of experience and learning to pull from. Uh, 
And so when you're about to make a decision, your intuition goes into the library and says, oh, James, you know, you're making this decision. And previously, you've made that decision. And a lot of great things came from that. So I'm going to send you a positive signal to say, yeah, go ahead. And conversely, if you've made the similar type of decision before and it didn't turn out well, your intuition is going to say, hmm, okay, here's some experiences in your past. Uh, I'm going to now send you a negative signal because if you make that decision, good things are not going to come from that. So that's how the signals work with experiential learning. And so what I told John is that sometimes your experiential, well, your intuition has you go against the data. And he goes, wow, that's really interesting, Sunil, that you bring that up. Um, because I have this exactly happened to me. And I said, okay, well, please tell me what happened. So John was in the business of running franchises. And so his team would look at a franchise. And when they looked at things like demographics and uh, you know uh, development in the area and traffic patterns, they used a 10-point scale. So anything with a nine above, uh, a nine or above, that's where he'd put something like a McDonald's or a Wendy's or a Dunkin' Donuts, any one of these franchise locations. And there was this one dilapidated area of Toronto, uh, Canada, which was a five and a half out of 10. And so now we're going to get into the second of the four called situational intuition. John goes into this area, this dilapidated area of Toronto, and he just looks around and he goes, something is telling me that we should actually put a location here. Uh, and now he's saying, perhaps it's intuition. I'm not sure. So he's now, at least I got John to say the word intuition. And so you have to understand this area of Toronto was one where people just drink to get drunk. What the type of franchise he wanted to put in there was where they were going to teach people about how to drink specific types of, uh, you know, organic beer and wines with cheese and different types of foods. So completely opposite to what people use this place for. But his intuition was saying, you got to put it there. And he did. He went against his team's advice. That ended up being the most profitable a franchise opportunity out of all of the franchise names that he had called the beer market. Um, and so now at, the, at some point, John was saying that his purpose changed. And so now we're going to get into the third of the four called relational intuition. And what relational intuition does is that it takes a look at filtering your relationships. So you only allow those people closer to you that you know, sort of match your values or who you really trust. And it's going to look at things like body language, uh, words matching actions, the values people look at, their behaviors, um, and what they write and the tone of what they write. And that's all taken into account to give you a sense of whether I can trust that person or not. And so in John's case, when he made the decision to say, I want to leave investment banking to actually run a business, everybody who was concerned about money, fame, ego, high-end restaurants, private uh, limousines, jets, all of them says, you're nuts, buddy. What are you doing? Yet there was only one person that ever just asked him why he wanted to do that. And that was his wife. And so now I'm paraphrasing John where an hour before this exact moment where this topic came up, this guy was telling me intuition doesn't exist. What John is now telling me on camera is saying, sometimes Sunil, you can have all the data, but you have to trust your intuition at some time. And this opportunity, I was telling my wife, just feels right. There's that intuitive signal. And the fourth of the four is called creative intuition. And that's the one that actually helps you make the decision. So if you're turning left at a light or you're you know, deciding what to eat for, for lunch, your creative intuition is pretty low. I and mean, it's pretty mundane type of decision-making. In John's case, 
uh, you would think that his intuition, given his 25 or 30 year experience as an investment banker, would pick a company that has you know healthy cash flow, uh, good revenues coming in, and a really strong balance sheet, at least as a starting point to run a business. Uh, not his intuition. His intuition is saying, John, you know what? Here's a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. Why don't you go run that? And so he does. He quits. He rolls up his sleeve and he walks into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant. And that restaurant ends up being Eastside Mario's location number one. And over the next 20 years, he grew that over different brand names to a $2 billion behemoth over 20 years, all because it felt right. And that's the power of intuition. Those are the four types of intuition that need to work all together that give you those positive and negative signals. And when that happens and you make the decisions based on your intuition, that's what kind of success you can expect as you keep walking forward, trusting your intuitive signals. So Neil, I, uh, I had maybe six or seven questions written down when we started. Now I have about 85 questions. <laughs> This may be a little bit of a longer podcast interview. I'm comfortable with that. But <laughs> oh, so many things going through my mind uh, when you're speaking. Like each one, I'm trying to bookmark them so that I can, because they all feel so important. But the one that is coming up now, and I guess you could say intuitively feels like the right thing to ask or to go with first is for people listening, how... How do they, you said when my intuition is, is activating, I, I, you feel it in your brow or it was that what you said? For me, that's for me. For that's you. what happens. Yeah. And for me, my, friend, my, there was heat in his ear. ear, ear, exactly. How does somebody listening start to practice that? How do they practice that to, to tune into their own intuition? The very, very first thing that people do is they get a piece of paper, two pieces of paper. And on the one piece of paper, and this is all going back and it's all based on history, the past, what happened in the past. And so the first piece of paper is what are the good decisions that they've made? And they try and list as many as they can and list, okay, when you made that decision, what did it feel like in the moment? And so the more decisions that they think about as far back as they can, the more positive signals are going to associate with those decisions. So, and some of them can be common. Some of them can be a voice. Um, some of them can be that feeling of flow or gentle pulling. These are very common ways of those that I interviewed uh, or some people, it's just, it just feels right, right? That's, that's the only way they can describe it. Um, and so that's the pattern of positive signals that they have to get to. And once they have the inventory of positive signals, the next thing that they can do is look at what are the bad decisions that they made. And what did it feel like? And when it comes to the bad decisions, what they have to really importantly ask is that, was that the first bad decision or was that the third bad decision in a chain of bad decisions? And they have to work backwards to figure out what was the original bad decision because that's where that subtle intuitive signal is. Um, and so ultimately when you do that exercise, now you have an inventory of positive signals and you have an inventory of negative signals. And now every single decision you make will be met with some kind of a signal. And if you've made a bad decision, it just means that, and I think that's a good thing. Failure is an amazing thing uh, because it informs your intuition. Uh, and that's, again, it's another data point in your subconscious or your brain so that you don't repeat that again. But if you actually make a bad decision uh, and it leads you uh, and you go against your intuition, then what was that signal that you missed? 
And so, and some people actually mischaracterize intuition, thinking that it leads them to bad experiences. And that's not the case at all. Uh, and I'll very give you a really good example. I, I was uh, interviewing Mark Metry. He used to have this Humans 2.0 podcast. So he's, he's one of the top 100. And one of the things that he talks about is social anxiety. Um, and he studied it from a scientific perspective. And when he was in high school, uh, his social anxiety had him uh, you know, get revved up so much that he wanted to take his own life. And so when we started talking about intuition, he started telling that story saying, sometimes intuition leads you down the wrong path. And then that got him into lying, continually lying again and again in high school so much that he lost his identity and that he just wanted to take his own life. That was the only thing that was left there. And so when, when I have guests that I talk about or people talk to me about intuition, having them go down the wrong path, I pay very close attention to how they're describing the situation. And in Mark Metry's case, I was able to catch his, his, uh, his entire story because it was part of my podcast series. And so I said, okay, hold on, Mark. If I was to review the, what you, the story you just told me, there's one piece that you actually just missed that was actually your intuition butting in and saying, you shouldn't ignore me, is when he was describing that, that uh, the episode of lying, the first thing, he, one part he, he forgot to, <laughs> to pay attention to is that he st started saying, I knew I shouldn't have lied, but, and then he continued his story. So his intuition, even in the story he's recounting, was saying, no, 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 I didn't tell you to lie. I told you not to lie. You made the decision to go against your intuitive signals to lie again and again. And in his case, it was about trying to find his identity with others. Uh, and this is very, very common, of course, in high school and, and uh, you know, in junior high when they're, they're not comfortable, people are not comfortable with themselves and they have to look for their identity towards others and they forsake their values um, and they, they find themselves lost because they're following other people's values and what they want and not their own. Uh, and, and for him, it got so far that he just lost. And this is, I wouldn't say common, but I've had a number of interviewees where they, that's happened. Um, I've even had somebody who's an international psychic who's, whose specific role was to help others with intuition. Uh, and yet she fell prey to that uh, when she was in her teens. Uh, and she just got so lost in, in losing herself. And she finally had to come back after she went through, you know, a devastating time, you know, with her health got affected and things like that. So when you take the time to figure out what your inventory of signals are, uh, then every single decision is going to be guided by those signals. And remember, that is based on experience and learning and this, the, what's in the situation, who you're dealing with. And so you're taking everything into account in a split second in time that's informing that signal. So that signal just doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from your own experiences and they're very unique to you. There's a, there's a book called Listening with the Third Ear. It's a book by a psychotherapist. I'm not sure if you've read it, but- I haven't, no. It's uh, the therapist's name, I think it's Theodore Reich. And it was maybe in the fifties, the mm -hmm. book was written. But I, I read the book maybe one time fully through and then another time I just kind of open it up and, and read some of the pages. It's one of those books where every page is powerful. You don't have to read it through, but listening with the third year, now that I'm, if, if I had to put a word to it in the context of this conversation, that is intuition. And he talks about it in the context of being a psychotherapist. There are times when I'm meeting with a client and I have my own internal dialogue about what I'm going to be, what I'm going to say, but then there's this other force and I would call it intuition that 
I was meeting with a client not too long ago and she said something to me and in the context of what she's saying, I had a vision. I, I had a vision of a dream that she had told me about about three or four months earlier. And I said, I don't know what the connection is. I, I can't put language to it yet, but in the context of what you're telling me, I'm remembering the dream you told me and it feels connected. Can we work through that together? And that opened up this door and it, there, there is a strong connection and it, and it really guided the therapeutic work. And it was just from, hey, this thing is coming up. And I've been using that, the farther I get into my career as a psychotherapist, the more I'm letting my intuition or my third ear guide me as someone is speaking to me instead of um, maybe what is, well, I don't wanna say instead, I'm just being guided by, okay, this thing's coming up, but I'm, it's not fully formulated. Maybe earlier in my life, I would have been hesitant to bring it up if I hadn't fully formulated the idea because it may seem like I don't know what I'm talking about it may be, maybe it won't go in the right direction, but I just kind of discard those potential um, objections to it. And, and it's like, I put it out on the table. Here's this thing that's coming up intuitively. Let's work through it together. Uh, so I yeah, think about it in the context yeah. of therapy. Absolutely. And, and as you're talking, I mean, that's one of the things that I talk about when it comes to talk about living in the present moment. And so many people talk about this or they put it on social media, but respectfully, I don't, think that they know what they're talking about because living in the present moment means that it, this was a perfect example is that you've got some of the, the education you have behind you and when somebody says something uh, in your context it triggers something in the past that lends credibility to that ongoing discussion in the future and that's that means about that means you being present now to 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 think about what that is and and having those intuitive uh, intuitive, uh, you know, hits or feelings or, or signals. And a really good case study of this is um, a, an analogy is I had one of the guys I interviewed was a fellow by the name of David Dame. Uh, and this guy had cerebral palsy. He's been in a wheelchair all his life. And uh, he used to go on vacation to beaches, but I mean, he couldn't, he just was, he was enveloped with fear, uh, you know, even getting on the, on the sand. And, but what he wanted was to always like, you know, he's been in a wheelchair all his life he just wanted to feel the, the, the sand and the water caress his toes just once. Um, and his intuition got so loud one time that finally, he finally says, I'm going to do it. And so he has his wife and his friends, you know, wheel him up to that water sand barrier and they stand him up and it's caressing his feet. And then his biggest fear happened, which was he goes flat, you know, flat faced into the sand and the water. And in that instant in time, what he worried more about was what are other people going to think? Boy, I feel like an embarrassment. The power of everybody else was more important than the power of him experiencing his, his reality, his dream into reality. And he said, Sunil had two things that I can think about at that exact moment. I can sit, go back in my wheelchair and sit back forever wondering what it was like. it's like to walk in an ocean. And I'm right here. Like my dream can turn into reality right now. And I can succumb to that fear and never have that happen ever again. Or I can trust my signals that are telling me, Dave, come on. You can take a step in the water. It's okay. Dave, take a second step. Dave, take a third step. And so he listens to his intuitive signals, even in the face of fear. And one step after another, he walks into the ocean. As his fear is coming down, the level of the waves are coming up and the waves get up to his chin. And that's when he turns around 
And he says, I was blown away by how far I came. And so the analogy is when you listen to your signals that your intuition is telling you, no matter what kind of fear you have, and there's three types of fear that I look at, fear of change, fear of unknown, fear of failure. When those, if those are paired with an intuitive signal that's positive, then that's an okay fear to have. Because the other signal that you're going to get is that you're going to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Remember, you're at the amygdala. It's fight or flight. It's one or the other, right? It's, it's you're going to be eaten or you're not. That's that simple when it comes to intuition. And that means you're going to get a negative signal or you're not. And so in his case, it tr he trusted that positive signal uh, and he, he turned his dream into reality. And so when you're really living in the present moment, it is about being present. Uh, and you have all the, the, the great stuff that you've learned and the, the knowledge, both good and bad before, that's helping you. But you really have to live in the present moment and figure, think about the decision today, the, the decision in this moment, and not future cast, not worry about what ifs, because the what ifs aren't going to help you. And then you're wasting your time. And there's something they call opportunity cost when it comes to not trusting your intuition. Uh, and a very, very good case study is uh, a fellow by the name of Vin Jang, who I interviewed. This guy was an international magician at the time, back in 2016, and he's now become an international communicator. And so what he, in 2016, this guy was on speaking to 100,000 people around the world, 80 stages in multiple countries. And you would think that this guy's life was on fire. Like this is the epitome of excellence when it comes to success in life. Yet his intuition was telling him, Vin, you are a broken man. And so this guy surrounded himself with ego, with brand names. It was so far away from his values that he needed to fix this right away. And he tells his wife, I need to fix this. So he goes away to New Zealand, no cell phone service. And what he starts doing is putting up on the walls values that he thinks he's living by. And he looks at that and he said, these values were haunting because he was saying, wow, this is what my wife wants. This is what my manager wants. This is what the people I speak to on stage want. Where the hell is Vin? And so he takes those values down and he puts up his own values. And he says, what he thought was going to be cathartic. What he thought was going to be freeing was actually one of the scariest times in his life because for the first time ever in his life, he's giving himself permission to live a life that he wants, putting himself first. And so he goes away, has an amazing time figuring out how he should live life, comes back and goes back to the same old set of friends, same old driven by brands, same or extrinsic or external validation. And six months transpire and his parents come up back from up from Australia and his wife, or sorry, his mother, and they're Vietnamese. And he says, she has a saying to him that when you hang around squid, you're going to get some ink on you. And she said, you have a lot of squid on you. This is not my boy. And so that was just like a wake up into the wake up call moment for him to say, Oh my God, like, the, what am I, what am I doing? He sells the, the downtown LA, LA apartment, moves out to the suburbs, gets the minivans, ditches the Mercedes, gets rid of all his, well, so-called friends. They weren't friends anyways. Um, and so he did that within six months. And so the one thing I told Vin when I interviewed him on my podcast, I said, well, Vin, it's not just the six months that of life that you lost, uh, you know, ignoring your intuition. It's also the six months that you could have gained by trusting your intuition. That's your opportunity cost. So in your case, you've actually lost a year of your life. And if you're in the business of helping 100,000 people a year, 
with them improving their lives, how many people did you leave behind? How many people did you not help? And he said, Sunil, I've never, ever thought about it that way. So that's what happens when you ignore your intuition. Your cost is double financially or you're in your time or where you want to go. And you're giving that power to other people. And my question is why? When you've got the tools already in you, just activate them. It's that simple. I think it's a very pertinent question. Why? Why does somebody ignore their intuition? On one of, one of the questions that I did write down, it is, what is the relationship between not going with intuition and the inability to fear or fear to communicate? So what I mean by that is in the context of, well, there's two contexts I could see this playing out in, but one in the context of a relationship that's not working out, let's say a couple that should probably get divorced, but they don't. How come? Usually it's fear, fear of change, fear of something. And sometimes it's just, I they can't bring themselves to communicate to the other person. And that's one example in which the inability to communicate has kept the person from living intuitively, or I would also use the word there authentically with what is going to work for them. So there's a fear. I don't know how to communicate. There, there are a lot of times where I'll get six months, a year, 18 months into the session and my clients will tell me something that they didn't tell me before. And what it took for them to, to tell that, tell me that was trust, was building the rapport and trust. And then they feel okay communicating because there is that safety. So I think like when we talk about fear and the nervous system response of fear, there's fight, flight, and there's freeze. So they might, people might freeze in their situations because they are, because of the fear and the way that the fear runs through their nervous system is keeping them from maybe communicating this one thing. In your context, it was changing your career. And you said, I told my father and he didn't speak to me for years after that. So there was a fear of how this might affect the people around me, how this might affect the relationship. So I'm going to freeze in my situation, not listen to my intuition, not, listen, not live an authentic life to myself because I am afraid of how other people are going to respond. So like my question, which we, we, we are answering as we're talking, but going into this, it was, how often is that happening? People are staying in relationships that aren't working for them, whether it be romantic or work or any other type of relationship, it's happening all over the globe. People are staying in relationships that are not working for them. Why is that happening? I think a lot of times it comes down to fear. So what would you tell someone who's in that situation where they can hear their intuition, they are, they're in tune with it, but there's some fear that is blocking them from acting on it? Yeah, and there, there's a couple of things. There could be either primary, tertiary, or even secondary ones. So, so one is that they could be communicating in you that um, you know there's one thing, but it could be, there's a number of things and it all depends upon uh, whether these are all lumped in, in one or not. So there could be uh, the status quo uh, you know, th there's the fear of what ifs, like I can't do something, I can't, you know, where, what am I going to do? That, that question mark. Um, the other one could be that fixing. Some people will say, no, no, it'll fix ourselves. We'll go for a romantic dinner. We'll go for that holiday uh, or over time, you know, I'll, I'll be able to fix that person. So there's a, there's a combination of these type of things that I think go to people's minds, whether they vocalize it to you uh, as a therapist or not. 
um, I guess that comes with trust and it also comes with how much do I want them to know and how vulnerable will I feel by saying that to someone I really don't know or I really don't want to share. No disrespect to who you are. It's just that it's their vulnerability that they they don't want to open up to. Uh, and so when you have these kind of questions swirling around your mind, uh, you know, then you don't take that step, even though that intuition is getting louder and louder. Um, and ultimately, and so a really good case in point, I, I, I interviewed someone uh, who's Sarah, Sarah Prout, and uh, I heard her Goldcast video, and I reached out to her. So this was someone who was in a 10-year physically and mentally abusive marriage, but and she knew, she knew it, right? And so every single year, she would say, I'm going to do it. And then she's, no, 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 uh, things will change, I'll fix him, or whatever the narrative was in her, in her mind at the time. And it got so so bad. It was like December 31st. I think it was 2016. Uh, and finally, like she was just looking up to the skies and there was just this voice said, you got to go and now's the time. And she just intuitively said, I, I, I'm do, I'm going to do it. And, and so for, she didn't know where to go. So when like when she left, she had two kids to feed. She was $30,000 in debt and no place to go. She was homeless. She was on the streets. She was borrowing. She finally found, uh, you know, some welfare uh, she was borrowing uh, couches from the streets where people had thrown it out. She was actually going into public washrooms to steal soap so she can put it together. This is someone who's going from, uh, you know, uh, uh, what on the outside almost seems like the American dream. You got the house, the fence, the picket fence, and you got a relationship. So from from you know from the outside it looks okay to to you know living a life like that, but it was so freeing. And so what she says is because we were so creative, we were so in the moment and it just, it was oddly when I was doing a podcast interview, that was a great life to have because she was really living for herself and ultimately, uh, you know, trusting her intuition, God, and she's a manifestation expert. Um, so she just wanted much more and she trusted that present moment. And one of the things that she talks about with when it comes to manifestation is people that say, if you think it and you will it, it'll happen. She goes, that's called junk, junkyard manifestation. That doesn't happen. You actually, okay, you can, you can dream of things that you want as goals, but you actually have to take action. You actually have to trust your intuition to make things happen. You just can't, you know, wish a million dollars is going to come and it's going to drop from some tree, uh, you know, and it has to be realistic, right? And so in her case, it was just about getting to the next level and, uh, you know, eventually, uh, within three and a half years of that same incident, this now she's running a seven-figure speaking business. Um, and again, it's not about the money, right? It's about the success that she had in that journey. Um, and it, what, what's really funny is when, when she talks about now that she's got the success and she's she's got all the accolades of that, she sometimes wishes for her kids to get back to that level of living life very simply, where each moment was just very, it was filled with quality and not quantity. And that's what she wants to teach her kids is it's the simple things in life that are actually the most happiest, not the stuff that we actually want to have around us. Um, and she's living proof of that because she had to go through that. Uh, and so uh, I, when it comes back to these relationships, there's sort of that what if scenario, uh, what am I going to do? And, and who are the people around you that are supporting yourself? Who are the people that are really going to be there for you? And it's at these types of moments when you kind of hit rock bottom that people really find out who their, their friends are. Uh, and it's 100% every single time somebody's hit rock bottom, they really find out who, who the people that just talk a good game versus who are really actually playing the game. And in some cases, there are total surprises. 
where a stranger or someone they kind of know becomes their best friend because they're really there for them. And it's going through those moments and you have to trust that intuition will help you make things right. Uh, and I've, I've talked to people who you know, wanted to take their own life, who were holding a knife and actually cutting themselves, people homeless, people got into car crash, you know, devastating divorce, been at the depths of what they consider the worst part of their life. And yet, when they trusted their intuition and their intuitive signals, one thing after another led them to live, to be happy. Uh, case in point, um, someone uh, that um, I'm actually mentoring right now, this was someone who walked into, her boyfriend had uh, invited her up, uh, walked into uh, his apartment, and she sees blood everywhere. And he had just murdered their best friend in the bathtub. He locks the door behind her, puts a knife to her back, and says, I'm already going away from one murder. Might as well make it two. Her intuitive signals tell her to calm down and to watch him and calm him down, speak to him in a normal way. Uh, he ended up uh, choking her, uh, sexually assaulting her multiple times and getting her to clean up the blood. Um, and her, all the while, her intuition is looking at when's the moment I can escape. And she, she keeps, keeps going from, I'm not going to come through this and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be dead. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. Just manage it. And if finally she sees an intuitive moment. He turns her, his back and starts walking towards the bathroom and she bolts and she unlocks the door, runs 18 flights down. And this is someone who now has seven locks, had seven locks on her door. And as soon as she walked out, like she's looking, Oh my God, like I can't go out. She goes out into public and it, she feels everyone's a murderer. And so when we worked together, she was able to finally trust people to actually go back to the gym where she was before. And that's her, her, her solace. She goes there and a lot of her intuitive thoughts at the gym, she's able to go jogging and live life. And she's now turned that level of PTSD, depression, anxiety. She still has that. She still has a therapist and she st still speaks to the police detectives, but we've now worked together to turn that into a book uh, and a website where she's starting to help others heal through trauma from her own stories uh, and her own blogs and her own videos uh, and she's now living through her purpose. And I'm telling you, the production that comes out of her because she's living her truth and her purpose, like the blog topics, the the videos she puts out, it's connected so many people who are going through trauma that they're reaching out to her and saying, I'm so happy somebody's talking about this because it's allowed me to heal. It's allowed me to say, I'm okay. Um, and that's more cathartic than a book sale or a website because that's true connection. And that's that purpose that she's driven by. And you can hear that in her voice. And so uh, she's continuing this journey just to heal others. Uh, and so when you are that kind of a person, you start to attract those type of people around you that surround you. And of course, you attract the others. Uh, but if you're tapping into your intuition, you're able to filter those who are there for real purpose and real support versus those who are there just to ride on your coattails. And your intuition knows that in a split second. And so she's able to really kind of move away. I've, I've trained her just now how to trust those signals to move away to say, these people have a different purpose versus, yes, I'm going to allow you in the inner circle. Um, and she's very, very choosy. And that filter is pretty thick, uh, especially with, with the, the, the stuff that she's gone through. I think that... Um... I have probably about 200 questions now. 
<laughs> oh my god the more we speak the more questions i have but we we're, we're running out of time so i do want to um uh, i wanted to give you a chance to connect the people listening to your content your your book yep. your website how can people find you how can people read into your work how can people connect with you Absolutely. So if you go to intuitionology.com, that's on the personal side. There's a seven a free seven day challenge people can go through where they use their intuition to look at solving just one problem in their life. And they learn about the intuitive signals and how to select the right people in the right environment. Um, and, and I'm all I'm on LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Um, I've got two, two Instagrams, uh, one for intuitive branding, which is the business side. So if you go to sunilgatsi.com, that's how using where you use the power of intuition to establish trusted relationships called intuitive branding. So intuitionology.com on the personal side, sunilgatsi.com on the uh, intuitive branding side. Um, my ebook is free available. If you go to intuitionology.com and you join the seven day challenge, you get a free copy of gut. Uh, and if you go to sunilgatsi.com, you'll see both the hard copy for fail fast, succeed faster and gut. Or if they want to go to Amazon or any of the other retailers online uh, to get their copy, you can do that as well. Um, and yeah, on a social media, I'm on TikTok. I don't do any dancing, uh, but I do. Uh, but I do offer my my uh, uh, stuff, and I'm usually regularly doing um, one minutes um, on each uh, something on the personal side and something on the business side. So I shot a couple of one minute, you know, just diatribes. And then normally every Friday, I'm starting to go live now on all my channels. Just I'll just pick a topic and I'll just go live. So last week I talked about um, how to use your customer as a franchise uh, and how you treat your customer like a franchise and how you use intuition and trust to really develop the long-term relationship, not just the first sale. Uh, this week I'll probably talk about something personal um, rather than the, the business side. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all over so they can connect with me there and happy to answer any questions and uh, happy to answer more questions. If you want to do this as a part two, I'd be happy to oh, answer yeah. the other 199 questions you parts. have. Yeah. There could be many parts. I, I'm just, I'm really thinking there are so many, th I'm going to name some things that I was thinking about that we didn't get sure. to that. I hope that we can get to in part two or part three. Yeah. I yeah. thought about love, like the yep. relationship between intuition and love. Yep. I, I also thought about, um, let me think now. Oh, mindfulness, the connection between yeah. intuition and mindfulness. When you talked about uh, being in the present moment, how yeah. really the things that come up to me for me in my therapy or just in my life, but when I'm paying attention to my intuition, it's because there is a, a foundation of mindfulness that is present in the moment to be aware of that. It is like the space that holds the intuition in any other experience. You said we have 28 something thousand experiences. I would say if, at least from my definition, the mindfulness is is this like greater experience that holds them all, the, the awareness. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then the intuition is one thing popping up. And if we miss it, then maybe we were distracted or maybe we weren't uh, we weren't being mindful. So mindfulness really lends itself for intuition to exist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great topics. Um, OK, so you and I will talk uh, off off of the, the recording about setting sure. up a part two, but thank you very much for uh, giving your time and your expertise. And I'm sure the people listening will really appreciate it. And I hope they connect with your stuff and I'll put links to everything on my uh, Spotify and my YouTube, but thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Bye. -bye.